we've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer. Today, we welcome Tammy Combs from AHIMA. She'll talk about a new white paper on compliance CDI technology. Are physicians really aware of the new Medicare physician fee schedule? They should be. And Terry Fletcher is here to explain what they need to know. Does your claims prevention system need a tune-up? Legendary HIM leader Rose Dunn has important maintenance tips. What is making auditors salivate? Dr. Ronald Hirsch will explain why malnutrition and pepper are on the table. Senior health care consultant Lori Johnson has the latest coding news, and Tim Powell is at the Tuesday News Desk. Plus, Dr. Reamer presents her talkback segment. Now, here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and everyone's favorite elf on the shelf, Chuck Buck. <laughs> Thanks, Clark Anthony. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 489th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Elf, and hello, everyone. <laughs> well, we have a lot of news and information to report, so we're going to begin right now. Yes, especially since this is our last live broadcast until January 11th, 2022. That's right. We'll see you next year. We have much news to report today, and we begin with Tim Powell, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is brought to you by the ICD University Bookstore inviting you to purchase the webcast and the book on the 2022 Social Determinants of Health. Get comprehensive help to correctly use the ICD-10 CMC codes to report social determinants data. This special package is now available at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now is Tim Powell. Thanks, Chuck. And Congress just approved a deal to avoid a showdown on the debt ceiling. Let's talk sequestration history. In 2011, then-President Obama signed the Budget Control Act of 2011, or BCA, as part of an agreement with Congress to resolve the debt ceiling crisis. The federal government can't increase the national debt without, as the saying goes, an act of Congress. The legislation created a joint select committee on deficit reduction called the Super Committee to produce legislation by late November of 2011 that should have decreased the deficit by $1.2 trillion over 10 years. When the Super Committee failed to act, another part of the BCA went into effect. This affected automatic across-the-board cuts, known as sequestration, to be split evenly between domestic and defense spending beginning January 2nd of 2013. The Bipartisan Budget Act of 2013 raise the sequestration caps for fiscal year ends 2014 and 2015, and in return for extending the imposition of caps into 22 and 2023. Through additional legislation, the sequestration system will not sunset until 2031. These caps have been a political football ever since. In an act of almost unheard of bipartisanship, the House of Representatives approved a bill on a vote of 384 to 38 to pass a bill that, among other health care provisions, eliminated the 2% across-the-board cut to all Medicare payments until the end of 2021. Now we have the end of 2021 in the crosshairs. The House has passed a bill. The sequestration will return, but not until April. At that point, a 1% sequestration will be imposed until June 30 of 2022, with the required 2% sequestration returning in July and remaining until the sequestration system expires in 2031. On a last comment on deficit spending, long ago there was a famous economist named John Keynes. Keynesian economics is a macroeconomic theory of total spending in the economy and its effects on output, employment, and inflation. 
The squeeze we are in is whether deficit spending in healthcare is wise as we see inflation soaring. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an ICD-10 Bond International correspondent. It's Tuesday. It's December the 14th. This is the last live broadcast tucked in Tuesday for 2021. Stand by. It's big. It's scary. It's the coming of ICD-11. But when will ICD-11 actually replace ICD-10 in the U.S.? And once it does, how will it affect you? Take a deep breath and join us for a sneak peek at ICD-11 during an exclusive ICD-10 Monitor webcast. You'll hear directly from Mary Stanfield, who has more than 35 years of experience with the clinical classification of healthcare data. Although the U.S. implementation date for ICD-11 has not been set, anxiety is running high. Mary will share valuable insights that could help put your mind at ease. Now, this timely and important webcast is today, December 14th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. There's still time, so register to attend at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now with the Talk to Tuesday Coder Report is Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. As we, hear the, as we near the end of the year, we should plan our compliance activities for 2022. The Office of the Inspector General, the OIG, now maintains an ongoing work plan that is displayed on their website. In 2021, the OIG has issued 208 reports, filed 532 criminal actions, and 689 civil actions, excluded 1,689 individuals from federal health care programs, and recovered $4 billion for the federal health care program. You may want to look at recently added work plan activities when developing your compliance plan. Some of the new items include telemedicine, do the codes accurately reflect the type of telemedicine that is documented, Severe malnutrition, which Dr. Hirsch will be will mention in his discussion, and does the clinical documentation support severe malnutrition? Mechanical ventilation over 96 hours, does the clinical documentation support 96 hours or more of mechanical ventilation? Adverse event, events among hospitalized patients, are the events reported accurately? And Part B, opioid use treatment services provided by opioid treatment programs are, and again, are the treatments reported accurately. Do not be surprised if you are requested to provide copies of medical records on these topics. The results of the investigation are to be reported in 2023. One result of an OIG review is a Corporate Integrity Agreement, or CIA. The CIA usually lasts five years and requires a compliance officer, compliance committee, written standards and policies, comprehensive employee training program, annual review by independent review organization, establish a confidential disclosure program, restrict employment of ineligible persons, report overpayments, reportable events, and ongoing investigations and legal proceedings, and provide an implementation report and annual reports to the OIG. 
Having a plan is a good is good preparation for the new year. You should also listen to Rose Dunn as well this morning as she will provide some insight regarding coding denials. These topics should also be added to your compliance plan for 2022. And I have one other update. The new technology meeting, which is scheduled to meet today, will only be held today. Originally, it was scheduled for December 14th and 15th, but according to the website, it's only meeting today. So you should watch that if you want to see what new technology will be happening for fiscal year 23. Happy holidays, and I am looking forward to talking with all of you next year. And with that, back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant at Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And again, Lori Johnson, thank you very much. What is the significance of malnutrition and pepper? We asked a regulatory expert in a familiar voice on Monitor Monday to explain. Here now is Dr. Ronald Hirsch, and good morning, Dr. Hirsch. Good morning, Chuck, and thanks to Dr. Reamer for asking me to be on the broadcast to tell you about the newest pepper measure just added this quarter, malnutrition. Now, before you get anxious, I'm not a CDI expert, so I'm not going to discuss the controversy over how to define malnutrition, nor will I differentiate the various stages of malnutrition. But here's what I do know. They added malnutrition to the pepper in response to an OIG report from 2020 that found that CMS overpaid at least a billion dollars on inpatient claims that included E41 and E43 in 2016 and 2017. And really, once you hit that one billion mark, people start taking notice because we're talking about real money then. Now, of course, the OIG just love extrapolation. So it's important to know that this was an audit of only 200 of the 224,000 charts that reported malnutrition. So their 82% error rate is probably not actually the right rate. Nonetheless, back to the pepper. What are they measuring? For this measure, they're looking at the percentage of all of your inpatient claims that have E40 to E43 as the only MCC compared to all claims with E40 to E43. In other words, it's the percentage of claims where removing severe nutrition as a valid diagnosis would result in a lower DRG payment. Or in the guilty until proven innocent attitude of the auditors, how many claims did you falsely diagnose severe malnutrition simply to get more money from the trust fund? Now, as with any other pepper measure, you need a plan. So what should you do? Well, check your hospital's data compared to other hospitals in the report. If you're not an outlier, you're probably okay. Although that could mean you're missing some cases of severe malnutrition. And if you're in the red, then you may want to audit some of those charts and ensure that the diagnosis of severe malnutrition will stand up to scrutiny. If it's clinically supported and it's the only MCC, so be it. But if there's room for improvement in properly diagnosing, documenting, or coding severe malnutrition, now's the time to start making changes before the OIG decides to extrapolate your result. Thank you, Erica, again for inviting me, and back to you. Oh, and thanks for being here, Ron. We appreciate it. That was the Vice President of R1RCM, Dr. Ronald Hirsch. Chuck? Thank you both, and be sure to read Dr. Ronald Hirsch's excellent article on this timely topic. It's in today's ICD-10 Monitor. Does your claim denial system need a tune-up? The Dunn Report is next. Stand by. This is Talk to you on Tuesday.
Finally, an educational and training solution scaled to your biggest challenges. It's here now and a perfect holiday gift for your entire team. It's unlimited access to the country's most trusted resource for coding, billing, and compliance for interventional radiology. With this holiday gift subscription, your team will learn how to avoid mistakes and emissions in coding for interventional radiology services. So whether the problem is undercoding, overcoding, or non-compliant billing, IR providers need to take corrective action now. They can with the information in the Interventional Radiology All-Access Pass. Buy a gift subscription of the Interventional Radiology All-Access Pass and gain unlimited access to top-rated radiology, interventional radiology coding, and compliance education. That perfect holiday gift is now available online at shop.medlearn.com. It's the holiday season, and it's the perfect time to tune up your claim denial system. Here now is Rose Dunn with the Dunn Report. Good morning, Rose. Thanks, Chuck. I'm honored to be part of this last 2021 Talk 10 with the Shelf Elf. And as we look to 2022, we know that our healthcare facilities have financial constraints as a result of this never-ending pandemic. So with that in mind, I encourage all of our HIM and coding listeners to have as one of their 2022 resolutions to do what's necessary to decrease denials. We know that payers and external auditors took a break during the pandemic, but now it's open season for audits and denials. So first, know what's being targeted. Ask Patient Financial Services, or PFS, to tell you what are the top 10 denial categories for your organization. Additionally, as Dr. Hirsch said, watch your PEPPER reports for indications of variant patterns for your facility compared to other organizations. Also, visit your RAC's website to understand what they are targeting. And for professional practices, look at any CERT or comprehensive error rate testing reports you have, then convene a task force. That includes HIM, coding, PFS, and other relevant departments and individuals to identify needed process modifications or educational opportunities to reduce denials. Next, monitor and aggressively appeal payer denials. When we receive a payer's denial that we don't agree with, we need to aggressively and logically appeal every time. Remember, payers are incentivized to deny claims. That's a tactic which delays or eliminates payments. You must know your payer contracts. You need to be persistent and argue by providing compelling reasons, supported by clinical and community practice, coding rules, your contract, and your patient records. Pursue every level of appeal available to you, including involving legal counsel if necessary. We need to show payers that we are not laying down and letting them walk all over us. Determine if you have grounds for an appeal by first researching the payer's rationale for the denial. If the payer erroneously misinterpreted the clinical process, the contract, or rules related to the service, appeal the denial. Finally, watch the documentation submitted to payers. Many organizations have delegated documentation submission to PFS. Reconsider this delegation. Collaborate with PFS 
to delineate when documentation may be submitted by PFS staff and when the submission should be by the denials management or coding appeals team. Any documentation provided should have valid signatures, dates, and documentation or plans of care consistent with the services provided. This is particularly important when providing documentation for physician professional service claims and denials. 2022 is the time to be focused and aggressive. The cost to appeal is worth the claim reimbursement and subsequent modification of payer behavior. Be certain to monitor your progress and denial activity for positive results and celebrate. Please see my article on the ICD-10 Monitor website tomorrow. And when you're there, look for my other articles on denial-related topics. Happy holidays to everyone, and back to you, Erica. Thanks, Rose, and happy holidays to you. That was Rose Dunn. Rose is the Chief Operational Officer at First Class Solutions. The Medicare Fee Physician Schedule is our Tuesday focus. With Terry Fletcher here now is Terry Fletcher. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Chuck, and thank you. And good morning, listeners. Happy holidays. The Medicare Fee Final Rule for 2022, along with the proposed Medicare Fee Schedule, was published on November 2nd and has since been added to, updated, and revised. The Physician Fee Schedule was also set to have physicians seeing one of the biggest pay cuts they have seen in years unless Congress got involved to halt or suspend certain cuts that are set to take place January 1st, 2022. In a last week Hail Mary effort, the House and Senate passed House Bill S610, now called the Protect Medicare and American Farmers from Sequester Act. Here are the highlights. The 2021 Medicare fee schedule conversion factor, currently at $34.89 from the 3.75% one-year fix we received in 2021, was set to expire January 1st. The past legislation would now reduce the conversion factor to 0.75% instead of the 3.75% that was supposed to reduce. So our 2022 conversion factor will be 34.62 from the current 34.89. Please do not believe that there's a 3% increase as the headlines are reading. Congress did not stop the cuts, just ease the bludgeoning a bit with some delays. But it is a decrease in the conversion factor. The 2% sequestration cut on hold for 2021 to temporarily boost payment to providers as part of their pandemic relief package known as the Cures Act will continue through March 2022. However, starting April 1st through June 30th, a 1% sequestration will be imposed. And then the required 2% sequestration returns in July and remains until the sequestration system expires in 2031. Again, remember, this is from the debt ceiling increase from the Obama Administration's Budget Control Act of 2011. Medicare was also facing an addition 4% reduction to comply with federally mandated pay-as-you-go deficit-controlled budget rules, requiring that increases in federal deficit be offset by increased revenue or cuts to spending. This is to pay for the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan from the Biden administration that signed into law last month. The stopgap bill legislation will delay this 4% implementation of the PAYGO cut until 2023. And lastly, the clinical labor rates used as a scaling factor attached to PE or practice expense RVUs is estimated to increase direct PE costs by 24 to 30% in 2022. You will notice a huge decline in reimbursements for equipment and supplies. Please read through the Federal Register final rule on PE for practices providing tests, diagnostics, and diagnostics and inpatient or inpatient remote monitoring devices as this applies to you. That information starts on 86 FR 65027 in the Federal Register. 
So as you can see, we've had some Band-Aid fixes for 2022, but no permanent stoppages or reimbursement rates for 2022. AMA President Gerald Harmon, MD, said December 9th after the bill passed with Congress, these automatic cuts should remind members of the need for immediate reforms. Congress can get a head start in doing the right thing when it reconvenes early next year and work with physician advocacy groups to fix these systematic problems. And with that, Erica, back to you. Thanks, Terry. That was nationally recognized professional auditor, coder, and educator, Terry Fletcher. Chuck? Thanks, Erica, and thank you, Terry Fletcher. And be sure to read Terry Fletcher's article in today's ICD-10 Monitor. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, AHIMA and ACTUS have collaborated on a white paper about compliant CDI technology. Reporting that story is Ahima's Tammy Combs. Good morning, Tammy. Tammy, welcome back to Talk to Tuesday. And what do we need to know about the white paper? Thank you, Chuck. Uh, and hello, everyone. I really appreciate you for having me on the show today. I'm excited to share information about this newly released white paper, Compliant Clinical Documentation Integrity Technology Standards. You can download the white paper for free at ahima.org. The white paper was developed as a collaboration between AHIMA and the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, along with several experts in the field of CDI technology. Many questions plaguing CDI professionals implementing new technology are addressed in this white paper. The white paper's author discover, authors discovered many opportunities to streamline the CDI process with technology and identified some industry standards to help support a compliant implementation process. Some of the topics discussed in the paper include the current landscape of CDI technology, some key definitions of terminology used when implementing this technology, the accuracy of artificial intelligence, defining documentation integrity practice, assessing compliant CDI vendors, how to develop policies and procedures around the implementation of this technology, and the application of technology in different healthcare settings. There's also an appendix at the end that includes some questions organizations can use to help guide them in the selection of a compliant vendor. So some of the key takeaways um, from this paper is, number one, it's beneficial to have CDI professionals and providers at the table when selecting CDI technology. They can help identify the specific documentation needs and efficient processes for the organization. Also, a query is a query, and any process that's used to identify documentation opportunities should follow the compliant query process, as outlined in the AHIMA Actus Practice Brief titled Guidelines for Achieving a Compliant Query Practice. Um, one quote that I want to bring in from the paper says, these requirements apply to all query activity, no matter the method of generation to include human, automated, or other similar terms. There, we also identified some specific steps organizations can use to assess compliant practices of vendors. Um, some of these include asking for a high-level overview of the system's logic, um, determining interoperability, the, the process for, for data sharing, um, also the process used for algorithm development and the identification of confidence levels, as well as the level of customization that can occur. As with um, anything, when, when anything is new is introduced into a system, policies and procedures should also be reviewed. And also taking a close look at how this um, implementation or the application of technology may vary in different healthcare settings. 
So there's many opportunities where uh, the uh, CDI process can be streamlined with technology and help decrease the administrative burden on providers and increase high-quality clinical documentation. So please visit ahema.org to read this new CDI-focused white paper. You'll see the link to download it on your homepage. Thank you so much, and I hope everyone finds this publication beneficial. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tammy, very much. That was Ahima's Tammy Combs reporting on the new white paper on compliant CDI technology. Now is the time for a very popular segment here at Talk to Enthusiasts. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Good morning again, Dr. Reamer. Well, for my last Talk Back of the Year, I am going to suggest some New Year's resolutions for our listeners. For providers, resolve to provide excellent care to your patients and to take the time needed to document it well. Improved documentation improves both the quality and the perception of quality of medical care. Suggestions. I know it is a ASL, spelled little h, capital A-S-S-L, little e, but include acuity, severity, specificity, and linkage in your diagnoses. Consider doing a documentation timeout. Spend a few moments prior to dictating or typing or clicking and think about what the reader needs to know and what advances the story of the patient encounter. Put mentation into your documentation. Copy and paste less. Edit and input novel documentation more. Procedices. Read the record for the story, not as a hunt for potential CCs and MCCs. If the story isn't making sense, something may be awry. Clinical indicators may need translation into diagnoses, or documented diagnoses may not fit the picture of the clinical encounter. Generate worthy queries. Don't query for KPI metrics' sake. Query to clarify and ensure accuracy. Make your queries clear and concise. Do not impede the clinician by bombarding or confounding them. CDI analysts, when you're assessing your CDIS's performance, be honest and give good constructive feedback. Telling someone they are doing something wrong without giving them instructions on how to do it better is not helpful. Coders, resolve to read the encounter for the story and be sure the codes tell the same story. Don't just accept computer-assisted uh, suggestions. Thoughtfully consider whether the codes they are offering are valid and accurate. Make sure your providers understand meat and tamper. They have way more going on in their heads than they put down in the record. They think they are giving you what you need. Physician advisors, be present. Get regular time with the medical staff, even if it is short aliquots, and give them useful information. Just-in-time education works well with adult learners. They need feedback to improve future performance, whether it is CDI or utilization management. Set up education for your CDSs and your coders or your case managers. Getting everyone knowledgeable and on the same page will serve your organization well. Profi coders. Make sure you and your colleagues approach assignment of E&M levels of service similarly. It is very confusing to a provider to see the same type of patient document the encounter the same way and have two different levels of service assigned. Provide clinicians with feedback regularly. If you do annual reviews, increase it to quarterly. If you do quarterly audits, consider monthly. They can't fix it if they don't know it's broken. 
Along those lines, if you do denials management, loop your providers in. They don't know there is a denial unless you tell them. Tell them how it could have been prevented to avoid the next one. Quality, UM, case, uh, case management, and compliance folks, you are all touching the same record as the CDI team. Resolve to collaborate. Teach each other about what you do so you can identify the responsible individual to be recruited to fix a detected issue. Have open lines of communication and cross-representation on committees. It's not threatening. It's collectively strengthening. Administrators, recognize that everyone is feeling pretty stressed these days. Productivity is important, but retention is too. Resolve to be gentler, kinder, uh, sorry, kinder, and to empower your employees. Support them. Consider paying for some CEUs. If it can be safely accomplished, bring everyone together to remind them that they are not alone and that you care. External auditors, your job is important too. No one wants fraud, waste, and abuse in the system. But it's wrong and wasteful to make people fight denials gratuitously, deny righteously, and overturn on appeal when it is the right thing to do. And to all our listeners, thank you for sharing your time with us. Please have a safe, healthy, and happy holiday season and new year. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Erica, very much for that very thoughtful presentation. And that's going to be a wrap for our live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. It's the last broadcast for 2021. And I want to thank our panelists today, Rose Dunn and Terry Fletcher, Dr. Ronald Hurst, Lori Johnson, Tim Powell, Tammy Combs from Ahima, and as always, thanks to our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And a special thanks to two ladies behind the scenes who helped to make this program possible. That would be our producer, Emily Anderson and our line producer Laura Baker. Thank you very much, everybody. And remember, when we're off the air during the holidays, you can listen to all the Talk to Enthusiasm podcasts on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do rate us, give us a review. Until our first broadcast of 2021, that's going to be January 11th. I'm Chuck Buck reporting for Talk to Tuesday at ICD10 Monitor. Have a safe and compliant holiday, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.